a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, are my friends Liz and Matt. And we are here to talk about episode one of the second season of The Mandalorian. So um, I actually, I, I did not do what we had talked about last time. After we recorded last time, I said I was going to watch one episode a day for eight days to catch up. Uh, I did not do that. I just binged them all the day before. Because um, it's, it's not as long okay. as you think, yeah. actually. It's, it's, it's like... It's probably like five hours, all told, which is still a lot mm-hmm. of time. But, you know, I spread it out over the course of a day. And um, so I was I was all caught up. Had you guys refreshed yourself at all in The Mandalorian before the episode? I just watched the recap at the beginning of season two, to be 100% honest with you. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I, it, did not, I, I did not realize there were eight <laughs> days between the last time we recorded and now, because that's the way time works. So, no. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, no, I, I just, you know, I, I was writing about it. And so I wanted to make sure that just like my brain was in the proper, uh, you know, mindset to, to be talking about it. And mm-hmm. in rewatching it, I was just like completely overtaken by how much i love the show and so it it was a really nice way to get myself hyped up for this episode um and so i guess before we get too deep just uh general thumbs up thumbs down what did you guys think of this episode well yeah i'm gonna say thumbs up too yeah thumbs up (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, as many thumbs as possible they yeah (laughs) yes um, so I, I have a bunch of things I wanted to sort of get to, but the first uh, the first place I wanted to start was what I think is something that I've I've come to realize about The Mandalorian is that it really is a show that leans into some things that I think other shows wouldn't, and I you see that specifically in the casting. Like, there's probably nobody more obvious to play a sheriff in 2020 than Timothy Oliphant. Like he was on uh, Justified, and then he was in Once Upon a Time in America playing like a TV uh, lawman. And I feel like that's a very conventional choice that most people would probably have avoided because it feels too on the nose. And yet The Mandalorian cast him in exactly that role, and I thought he was excellent. What did you guys think of Timothy Oliphant as Cobb Vanth? I mean, other than hot also great <laughs> casting brought in you know humor and was exactly what that role needed because i think anyone else in that role would have been playing timothy oliphant in that role yes mm. like yeah that's a good point i didn't even think about that matt yeah i i thought he was great and to be honest with you when you mentioned that brian i've seen zero of those tv shows I, I haven't seen Timothy Oliphant in many things. To me, I, he's the guy from the movie Go, which sounds yes. terrible. Yes, he's, he's the, the drug dealer who talks about the family circus at the end. Yes, and that's like his standout role for me, which I guess isn't the best reference. Um, so for me, maybe it's not so obvious of a casting role, but I thought he was great. Now, were you guys aware that that's a character from one of the Star Wars novels? 
I was not aware of that. No. I, is he the one from that short story you've spoken of, or is yes. he a different? No, okay. yeah, he is. So in in uh, the aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig, each I don't know if it's after every chapter, but every couple of chapters there are these little like one chapter stories about different characters, and so like um, we get a story about the um, the Rancor tra- trainer that we see crying at the end of Return of the Jedi, uh, not mm-hmm. at the end <laughs> after the Rancor dies, and we get uh, a Jar Jar mm-hmm. Binks story in there, and one of them is about somebody basically bartering for uh, for the the Boba Fett armor, and so that is what they showed on screen is almost an exact adaptation of what was in that book, you know, five ish years ago. Uh, oh, cool! And so I, I, I found that really interesting. Uh, you know, I, it's very rare that that things go in that direction in Star Wars. Usually, things come from the films or TV shows, and they sort of trickle down into the novels or the comics. It's rare that that osmosis goes the other way. Um, you know, I think a Grand Admiral Thrawn, who Liz has not been introduced to yet, but is a big part of Rebels, is a character from the novels that mm-hmm. led into there. But aside from that, I can't think of too many other things that weren't at least – like sometimes things happen sort of concurrently, but you get the idea that films just take so long to make that – you know, like Snap Wexley, who is uh, Greg Grunberg in the, the the sequel trilogy, he's introduced as a kid in the Aftermath books, but clearly Wendig was given like an, a dictum like, you know, here you go write about this Snap Wexley character who we're all going to see in The Force Awakens. This is mm-hmm. it seems like a really organic – you know, uh, introduction in a in a novel and go into the TV show. I don't think it takes anything away from the character, nor does it add anything. It's not like it makes it better, right? It's just interesting to see the osmosis go from the novels into the more mainstream stuff. Um, yeah. Let me ask you guys, when this episode started, did you expect him... Did you expect the Mandalorian that he was going to encounter to be Boba Fett? Was that sort of what 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 you thought of when you heard that? It, it's it's not what I thought to be honest with you. I I did not think it was going to be Boba Fett or or Boba Fett's armor. Right, right. Yeah, I I had assumed it'd be Boba Fett, which filled me with instant rage. Um, as I explained to my wife who watched the episode with me, um, as soon as they said Tatooine, I'm like, they're, they're doing it. Oh, they're doing it. Um, but then was pleasantly surprised when it wasn't. I was like, oh, this is, I think, from that story Brian talked about. That's a really cool way to introduce Boba Fett. Maybe they're not shooting themselves in the foot. Oh, wait. No. Okay. <laughs> well, 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 we'll talk about the ending in a bit. <laughs> and, 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 and we should say, spoiler alert, I, I can't imagine you listening to a podcast about the first episode if you haven't watched the first episode, but just in case, spoiler alert. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that'd be like hosting a podcast episode without having watched the episode. Hey, yeah. <laughs> that was a confidential conversation between friends, and I will not have you spill my tea on the air, Matt. Uh, I mean, did I finish season three of uh, Clone Wars before we talked about it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yes, you had. You have seen it multiple times. Yeah, yeah. multiple times. Now I had to finish the Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. So I mean, overall, I, I think it's it's pretty clear that the Mandalorian is like a Western or a samurai inspired, you know, mm-hmm. show. And I thought that this week's um, creature 
almost made it into like a kaiju, like a Godzilla type story as well, where there is this natural beast that is terrorizing the population and it is our hero's job to save that population. I thought it was a really interesting new uh, sort of wrinkle to add to the Mandalorian, which we haven't really seen yet. What did you guys think of that? There's a name for that creature. They keep calling it the something dragon. Crate dragon, I think. Yeah. Uh, What did you guys think of the crate dragon? I, at first, I was like, "Oh, it's like Dune, but in space." Um, But as they as they kept adding in, um, uh, oh, I was thinking Tremors. Yeah, Dune also has a giant worm. Uh, (laughs) Or Beetlejuice. Or Beetlejuice. Yes. Um. But they, the way that they took the story and just kept adding layers to it with the townsfolk and the sand people and the everything, like, it made it into a much more interesting story of something that could have been just real schlocky. And I ended up liking it a lot more than what I initially thought. When I'm like, oh, cool, big worm in the sand, awesome. Um, but it turned out really, really well. They did it in an interesting way which i think is a lot of the mandalorians taking something that could be just throwaway and making it into something really worthwhile yeah i i I tend to agree with matt i think you know it was sort of this i guess villainous being um someone for our heroes to fight against and it brought these different groups of people together the town folk and the tuscan raiders and it gave us a chance to learn maybe a little bit more um about the tuscan raiders And it gave us a chance, I think, even just to see Mando more as someone who could, um, the fact that he matured a bit here, he could negotiate Mm -hmm. well between the two different groups um, in order to eventually defeat the dragon, um, which I thought was enjoyable. Yeah, I had had done a little bit of research on the crate dragon because I thought... I thought I had heard that name before, but it turns out it's the first appearance of a living one on a Star Wars film or TV show, but we see mm-hmm. the bones of one in the Dune Sea in A New Hope. Um, yeah. And also, yeah, they... uh, Matt, did you ever play Knights of the Old Republic? Yeah. Apparently one of the quests in that game is to hunt a crate dragon. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it was in various things in what is now like Star Wars Legends, mm-hmm. um, but... As sad and horrible as it is, it was reintroduced into the Disney universe in a mobile game, and this is the first we're seeing it on film. So, wow, yeah, yeah, excellent Ooh, mobile I, gaming knowledge. Yeah, I know. I, I do have to say, I did not expect it to spit out that acidic green goo at a certain point. I was like, oh my god, it just barfed all over everyone. Yeah, that was an added layer. I did not expect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was yeah that that was an Eileen covering her eyes moment. She uh, she she appreciates the show, but not the gore. It's a little, <laughs> little too much for her. I, I definitely uh, can relate to that, even though I, I have no problem with, with such with such gore. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought that the Tuscan Raiders are a good place to go next. I really liked how the show basically made them. If you know, if we're continuing the Western theme, it basically made them the Native Americans in the show Mm -hmm. where you know Mm -hmm. they're these outsiders that aren't necessarily understood by the townspeople until the wise traveler comes in and gets them to work together but 
mm-hmm. Tusken Raiders have almost universally just been sort of scary borderline villains this whole time. And I thought it was it was really fun to make them into something a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it what um what it does more cuz this is kind of an interesting throwaway piece of an episode from last season where we see him negotiating and trading his binoculars to pass yep. by but having an actual like relationship with them and seeing things from their perspective um really gives bigger weight to the scene in um uh, attack of the clones where yeah. you know a really again a dark moment for anakin when he slaughters a group of people that can be spoken with bargained with bartered with like he just wiped out an entire village of people not of monsters um so i i like them continuing with that storyline i think it again fixes things far beyond just the episode and makes the episode work um in a way that is very familiar to people who like westerns um this idea where you know for the sand people they're you know raiding and killing and warfare like that's a way of life for them um and it's not something the villagers can understand um and it's not something the sand people expect them to understand right but they can put they can put that all aside for the greater good but can the townsfolk and we don't know for a while so one it's it's good one very cool thing i had read was that they actually brought in a uh an actor who is hard of hearing to help them develop the sign language. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, just a, a nice moment of inclusivity from mm-hmm. this film to make sure that, you know, that, and so uh, the actor who I believe played like the main Tusken Raider, the one who was sort of the, the one who was communicating with Mando, he is, he mm-hmm. is legitimately hard of hearing, which is very cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, I want to talk about the casting a little bit more on this show. We got Amy Sedaris again, which will never not be weird to me. <laughs> like, even though she she's quite good, it's just if you if you had told me like five years ago Amy Sedaris will be in Star Wars, I would just I I could never have believed you. Yeah, her career will at the same time be a weird variety show on True TV and also Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> And, and and I'm an old school Strangers with Candy fan, so you know I I, I love seeing her show up. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. It's just very 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 weird. Uh, did mm-hmm. you guys spot who played the one eyed uh, villain from the first segment? Oh, uh, Space Danny DeVito, as my wife referred to him as. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice, but I read it later and was like, oh really? Me too. I read it later as yeah. well. I, I definitely was not watching it and thought, that's John Leguizamo, but yeah, that's John Leguizamo, man. That's crazy. Wait, is that the pest? Yes. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I, I mean, that's definitely the most makeup he's had on since he was in the Spawn movie as the clown. Uh, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it was it was pretty, it's pretty great how they keep doing that on this show. Like, in the, in the, in the, in the pilot, the that the sort of blue character that gets that is the first bounty we see him pick up was Horatio Sands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the uh, Brian Posehn is also in that episode. There's a lot of comedians. Bill Burr had that 
episode where he was like the leader of that uh, that mission on the rebel yep. transport or the new republic transport rather so you know they've done a lot of um they've done a lot of comedians in in serious roles and i think it's it's more or less worked for them what do you guys think about all these comedians showing up i i think it's worked i, I can't think of one character where i haven't enjoyed their role and i, I agree that amy sedaris seems to stand out and she seems like the most outlandish level of almost comic relief within the series. I feel like there are a few like one-off lines that are, you know, comical throughout the show. Um, And she's definitely the most outlandish comic relief, but I I feel like all of them have been enjoyable. And because some of them seem to play sort of against that, you know, um, comic role in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I feel like this time I noticed Amy Sedaris is some kind of like Sigourney Weaver in Alien thing going on with her jumpsuit and hair like that but yeah I, I i like when there are people i recognize but it almost seems like they're out of their element but it works and it, it seems to work in the mandalorian i'm like oh look who's in star wars but it works yeah and i think as much as the amy Sedaris character sort of sticks out a little bit from the mandalorian series as a whole she's probably the most mainstream star wars ish character so it does help kind of ground it back to the source in some weird way um because that half jokey nature is kind of something that star wars carries along and i think it keeps the mandalorian from becoming too dark and too involved in itself so liz I'll, now, I, will, I will throw her that bone yeah liz now that you've seen the Clone Wars, tell me if this makes sense to you. When I watched the first season, I thought, oh, that's a Clone Wars character on screen. For Amy Sedaris? Yes. Ah, oh, interesting. I, I felt like that's a character we would have met in the Clone Wars. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that's possible. I feel like I had that moment at one point during this episode, and I, I lost it. I didn't jot it down, and I'm trying to think where that was. Um. Maybe it'll come to me as we're discussing more. But yeah, I, I can see that. It, it, it's definitely, I feel like it's broader than a lot of the stuff on The Mandalorian so far. But that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily make it bad. Like you said, Liz, it, it, it does break up the the tone a little bit and, and gives some comic relief to a show that sometimes, you know, it really needs that comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the rest of the episode did not have any any real stunt casting. Uh, I'm interested to see what people are cast uh, in the future because it, it is it is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I keep waiting for like um, there there are a lot of people who are like noted Star Wars super fans, so I keep waiting for like you know Stephen Colbert to show up, who who's, <laughs> who was also best friends with Amy Sedaris, so that would you know that would that would yeah. probably not be, be too hard or. Uh, Timothy Oliphant's like best friend is Conan O'Brien, so mm-hmm. you know to to see mm-hmm. Conan O'Brien show would, would be fun. But I think those guys are such big stars that it's hard to it's probably hard for them to like evaporate into a uh, into a Star Wars character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do the Sadekas treatment. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just 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 make them stormtroopers. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just interesting to see how they use these actors in these roles, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a couple of directors, uh, not- notably uh, Steven Soderbergh, 
who like to cast stand-ups in their material because they say that stand-ups are just o- almost always good on their feet. And so you can you can throw stuff at a stand-up that won't necessarily um, phase them in the way that sometimes a traditional actor will be phased if you go off script a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that's part of it too, but... I can't imagine there's much improvising happening on a Star Wars set. It just doesn't that doesn't seem too conducive to improv. No. It doesn't. Uh, well, let's just, let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll talk about the uh, the end of the episode as well as a couple other little tidbits. So stay tuned. Hey, we're Panels in Motion, a monthly podcast where we read a comic, watch its movie adaptation, and figure out what went right or what went wrong. We focus on a wide variety of non-superhero comics. One month will be an American independent comic like The Mask or Kingsman. The next will be a European comic like Persepolis or Tintin. And the next will be a Japanese manga like Lone Wolf and Cub or Silent Voice. I'm a writer. I'm a director. And I'm a cinematographer. So we all have different perspectives on why an adaptation might or might not work. We're also a show where a discussion of Middle East education or the sexual revolution can take place alongside a discussion of the pros and cons of Jim Carrey's face. There is truly something for everyone. So check us out. Go subscribe to Panels in Motion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. And follow us at Panels in Motion on Twitter and Instagram. See you soon. And we are back. So before we jump to the end of the episode, is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about sort of in the inter you know, in the, in the intervening moments between what we've talked about so far? Um I, I feel like, you know, I I feel like uh maybe I have to mention baby Yoda. And maybe we have to put him in like a, a cute position in every episode, and this time he wound up in a spittoon. Yeah. That was the, the cute baby yes. that was a cute baby Yoda moment in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like they have to check that mark, but they he was very, very much backseat this episode. He was. Yeah. I mean, which is okay. Yeah, that was fine. Um, yeah, I, I wonder how much of of a lead role he's going to take in, the, in these episodes. I mean, ostensibly, he is the MacGuffin of the plot, mm-hmm. right? They have to get... Mando has to get him to his people. Mm-hmm. But he's not protecting him in the way he was in the first season, at least not yet. Like I, I guess when Moff Gideon shows up again, maybe he'll be more in the forefront, but it seems like for right now, he's just sort of the, the sidekick character, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. It did seem that man Mando yeah. himself was the one in danger, not, um, not baby Yoda or mm-hmm. what it would he, the child, I guess is proper name for him now. Correct. No longer yeah. the asset. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, um, with that, I had a question. Just sure. Uh, I may be overthinking it. It hit me when um, Amy Sedaris' character like is discussing with Mando the idea of trying to get him back to his, um, you know, his kind, and they discuss this idea about you know the old stories say you know about the Jedi, which we've discussed at length. I don't know what old stories he needs. He was saved during the Clone Wars where the Jedi were the forefront warriors, which is interesting in and of itself. But also, has no one seen Yoda or Yaddle? Like, I thought Yoda was a pretty forefront member of the Jedi Council, but I guess if you don't know what a Jedi is, you don't know who Yoda is. It just seems a lot of open secret that these people should know. 
Well, okay, I'm I'm trying to, to figure out the timeline here. So we, I believe, this takes place four or five years after Return of yeah. the Jedi, which takes place. Return of the Jedi is about twenty-one years after a, a Revenge mm-hmm. of the Sith, I believe. So we're talking like twenty-five, twenty-six years. Would you know? I'm trying. Okay. Matt, can you name who the senator from New Jersey was 25 years ago? No, I couldn't. You lived in New mm-hmm. Jersey. You should know who the senator is, right? I'm just, I'm just you're right. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I think, and also, but I think also, if the Senate was abolished mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and like they were all evil, you probably wouldn't notice those people. But also, I don't know. We never really get a sense of if the Jedi are famous. Like the concept mm-hmm. of the Jedi is famous, but never do we have someone like that's Qui Gon Jinn. <laughs> like you know, nobody yeah. like, yeah. No, nobody calls them out as celebrities. I wonder if they're mm-hmm. relatively anonymous. That that sort of the Jedi is the important part, not the uh, yeah. But they talk I, about I, the I Jedi the as like a mysterious group of like force wielders or, or, or space sorcerers or whatever they refer to them as. It's just a strange. Like, they at least know who the Jedi, what the Jedi are. But I don't know. Maybe that's, again, a difference between in the main movies. In the Clone Wars, everyone knows what a Jedi is. Um, whenever you, you know, see people all throughout. And even in Rebels, because the Jedi are known to be hunted, they at least are known to be. Um, yeah, it's just, it feels like it shouldn't be that huge of a leap to know what a like to find out what a jedi is or to find out what the child is but i guess maybe now in the post you know republic fall there's not archives anymore it's a very information um dis-centered world i don't know it just feels like a lot of things that they maybe could put some context to it seems like a lot to assume that nobody knows these things Yeah, it's it, it is a, it is a little strange. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a lot like um, I, 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 we're on a podcast and talking about a meme that I sent you in a group chat three you know a week ago. But the <laughs> idea, like in the conversation where um, Obi Wan is talking about you know the Jedi Knights to Luke and um, Han scoffs about them. A Han knows who they are, but B the Wookiee in the room saved one of their lives. Was pals with <laughs> like, Jedi? Yeah. That's deep. With, with multiple Jedi, <laughs> it's just—I don't know. It's—it's it's weird when you try to pretend that they're secretive, but also the glue that holds the universe together. <laughs> I don't know. Rant yeah. over. Just um, <laughs> no. It—it—it it, it, it is an important question, and I think that that there's probably the answer is probably that when the Empire came in. They just, like you said, it's an information uh, lack. It, it, society's lacking all this information. Mm. And, you know, um, I also don't know, like, on at the out, on the outer rim, how prevalent knowledge of Jedi's mm-hmm. were. Like, I, I wonder sometimes if Jedi, if the Jedi were like, everybody on the inside of the political track knew mm-hmm. who they were because they were the bodyguards and all that. But, like, did the average citizens know who they are? But okay. you're right. In the yeah. Clone Wars, they, but in the Clone Wars, they tend to encounter a lot of sort of normies who know who Jedi <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah, and I think 
it also falls into my like the second point of this idea of like Tatooine is supposed to be the far flung you know ass edge of the universe, but is the center of so much of the Star Wars storyline. It's again a weird, right. like not everything should happen at the place that's supposed to be the most insignificant <laughs> in the universe. Um, but again, I right. think I'm worried about the Mandalorian falling too much into Easter eggs and fallbacks. I think this episode had one too many in the speeder made from Anakin's old pod racer, like a, a wink and a nod with the, you know, jetpack um, malfunction. I, that was great. I loved that, but you don't need to make everything related to the films. Yeah. I, I wonder if that will continue or if just like, you know, it, every season premiere is kind of a pilot in its own way. You know, you have to get people back interested in the show. That. So I I wonder if that was just an attempt to you know excite excite people. But I mean, who needs to be excited about <laughs> Star Wars? Am I right? <laughs> it's something the franchise has never cared about before. So <laughs> starting now, it's true. <laughs> it's just also so um, weird watching so much bad Star Wars for the past couple of months and seeing something good. So I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I thought. Like the minute, like the first five minutes in, I'm like, oh my gosh, this show is so good. This is good Star Wars. <laughs> uh, Lizzie, anything else you want to talk about before we got into the? No, ending? that's it. Okay, so he, here is my question for you guys about the ending. This this series loves to play with your expectations a little bit, and. I think it's very easy to see the character that we saw at the end of the episode, um, who was played by, um, you know, uh, Tamira Morrison, who played Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones and was the voice of all of the clones in the Clone Wars and uh, actually went back and dubbed Boba Fett's voice into the most recent versions of the original trilogy. So that his voice matches the voices that you see elsewhere. Um, we see him sort of watch the Mandalorian flying into the jetpack at the end, and we see him turn and face the camera, and, and we're supposed to, I think, believe that's Boba Fett. But how sure are we that that's Boba Fett? I, I don't know. It, it seems too obvious, but also does it have to be? Yeah, yeah. I, there are other options, right? I mean, any of the yeah. clones, like literally any any clone that survives, um, could be. Well, they they'd be dead by now, wouldn't they? Because they age at quadruple the rate of. Because they're like old men by the time. Rebels, hit. I guess it could be, maybe. Rebels well, isn't that far well, ahead, okay. is it? But no, Rebels. If this is five years after Jedi. We see Rex at the end of Rebels. Spoiler alert, sorry, Liz. Um, and he he has like a white beard, but I mean, you know, I'm 38 and I'm going yeah. gray, so you know, I I don't I don't know if um I don't know if he's supposed to be like super old or if he's just I mean, how old would he be at that point? This would be, I said, approximately like 25 years after Attack mm -hmm. of the Clones. So if they aged him up to, what do you think Jango Fett is 
40? Yeah. So he'd be 65? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, 65-ish, you know, age-wise. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about this. Matt, do you are, are you pretty I'm pretty sure, sure it's Boba Fett. Fett. Um I'm a because you know with how awful 2020 is going to be, there's no reason for them not to spoil this for <laughs> me too. Um but also there's so much hype and so much desire for him. I'm hoping it's a cameo and not a recurring character because I just I don't know what the hell Boba Fett has to do with like the cult of Mandalore. Like it doesn't fit in totally with everything. Well, if they can weave a storyline that maybe makes sense. Okay. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, 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 a cameo is fine, but making him a piece of the story, I think is just overly complicated. I'd like it not to be Boba Fett. Mm, mm-hmm. And I and I feel like it'd be a nice surprise for it not to be Boba Fett. But I feel like we do need an explanation as to why his armor is floating around outside of a Sarlacc. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, in that chapter in Aftermath, it's basically presumed that that he like that the jaw was found it outside of a sarlacc okay. pit like that the sarlacc spit, spit it, out, it up yeah. or something like that yeah um i think that's what happened again it's, it's been mm. years literally years since i read that um but so he, here are my boba fett thoughts first of all on one hand i think it's not him because i think it's it's too mm-hmm. easy i also think that if it's true that um Ahsoka and Bo-Katan and other Clone Wars characters will be appearing in this season of The Mandalorian, which has been rumored for a long time now. If all of that is true, then I think it makes more sense to be a different clone. Okay. I don't know what clone. Like I, I, I don't think Rex. I think if I think at this point Rex is established as as being beardy Rex, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think if they, if they showed him with a beard, you'd think, oh, that's mm-hmm. Rex. Um, but I think it makes sense if it was Cody or if it was another clone that had sort of, you know, um, sort of a role in the clone war. I, mean, I know Boba Fett does, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really interact with those characters much. You no. know, um, I think it makes more sense for them to, uh, for it, him to be somebody else. But if it is Boba Fett, I think that I trust this crew to do the most interesting work with him that's ever been done but that's also not saying very much because there's been literally zero interesting things done with him so, true. and also it, um, it, it, it opens up like multiple cans of worms because Django Fett is canonically not connected with the actual Mandalorians his armor right. is theoretically stolen Mandalorian armor um, Boba Fett's armor is not Django's armor we don't know how he gets it where he gets it from, if it's this newly minted armor, is it, you know, classic, um, you know, hand down through generations armor? Is it armor post the wiping out of Mandalore? Like, maybe that could unlock certain questions. Um, 
involving you know the greater Mandalorian timeline, but I don't I don't know because again that that how into the weeds do you get with this stuff? Well, I mean, so I was trying to remember how in how I, I, that was the exact phrase I was going to use. I was trying to remember how into the weeds they got with Mandalorian stuff in the first season, and there's really in the first episode. We see him bring the best car to the um, the person who's working the uh, the forge. What what is what's character's name? Oh, the, uh, oh shoot! Is it yeah. just the, the Smith, the, or is, does she have an actual name? The something, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the armor. Hmm. Maybe the armor sounds right. It's, it, it's something like that. Um, but you know, we get a little bit there. It is the armorer. I just just, mm. just looked it up. Um, we get a little bit in the third episode when he gets the full best car armor, mm-hmm. and then we see her again at the end of the eighth episode, where uh, she basically tells him to t- that it's his responsibility to bring Baby Yoda to his people, mm-hmm. um, and they 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 do all that stuff relatively simply. Like there there there's not a ton even talked about. Mandalore, like at one point, um, Cara Dune says Mandalore is not a race. It's a, and then uh, the, and then the Mando himself says it's a creed. Mm-hmm. So you get you, they they do a nice job of sprinkling little things in there, and so I think that you might be able to tell some of that story without getting too far into the weeds. Yeah. I mean, even if even if you just someone just said like you know that stolen mm-hmm. armor, that kind of fills in a, a fair amount of gaps there. But I also think that if we've learned anything about this show, it's that everything we kind of thought the show was, it, it, it certainly is those things, but it's also a lot more than those things. Like, I, I think we thought it was going to be a lot more about Mandalore, Mandalore as a culture mm-hmm. and, Mandal- and what, what it sort of means to be a Mandalorian. And with the exception of, like, the helmet stuff, there's not a lot of time spent with sort of what Mandalorian beliefs are mm-hmm. or what distinguishes them. You know, that we're told that they're great warriors or whatever, but the show is really about sort of... It, it uses this relatively silent character to illuminate all these different Star Wars characters and corners of the universe. And so I think that it can tell a Boba Fett story without without it being the Boba Fett story we think it's going to yeah. be. And if that's the case, I'm relatively okay mm-hmm. with it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I feel like watching the Clone Wars filled in so much backstory for me just in terms of who, you know, in terms of Mandalore and who the Mandalorians are, um, just from the first season of the show to the second season. Now, would you be satisfied yes. if we laid in a new ground story for... Boba Fett, if you figured out that somewhere along the line he was part of the cult of Mandalore, he was, you know, a true believer. You know, there was a show and an act working for Jabba. He fed information or something that the obsession with Han wasn't just personal vendetta. Um, how would you feel if they shifted the Boba storyline? I mean, I, I guess I'm fine with it. I, to to me, the only thing that would really bother me is if they just continue to waste the character. Mm-hmm. 
Like, so one of the things is, you know, when you're a kid and you watch Empire, Boba Fett is this badass-looking character, and then he's instantly <laughs> terrible in Jedi. <laughs> and then they brought him into the prequels and made him instantly terrible. Yeah. And they brought him into the Clone Wars and made him instantly yeah, terrible. Yeah, and then, Brian, so did, like, you re- did you read the um, the comics where they reintroduced Boba Fett again? Um, like... It, in the um in the old expanded, yeah. U- expanded universe yeah. stuff no in the in, no uh, in the new I, I, the new series the Disney ones okay no, I like have they not. they bring him back again and then he fights Luke Skywalker pre Jedi training and then again because Luke wears such heavy storyline armor that obviously Boba Fett has to lose and it just becomes stupid using the character at all like that <laughs> because the problem is right. Boba Fett falls onto the villain side of the equation. And as we know, villains can never win. So despite how badass he might seem or powerful he might be, when he comes up against a hero, it's just an automatic loss. Yeah. Right. So Maul Maul is like the only one that can really, you know, affect that equation. So. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, if, if they do something better with him, cool. But. He he just is so objectively lame. Like that's that's the part that I hate about it. Is he is one of the a fan favorite character that does nothing and is just boring. Well, could this be Boba Fett's time to shine? I don't know. Could be. <laughs> I mean, to me though, Matt, isn't that a good story? Couldn't the story be like my father was such an elite physical specimen that they based an entire race of people mm-hmm. off of him. I have been given this armor that is legendary across the universe as the war the armor of the warriors. I have had every advantage and I keep failing. Like isn't that a isn't that a way more interesting story than anything we've seen so far? I guess uh, yeah, if we embrace that, I could I could get behind that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I mean t- to me to me that's a it's slightly similar to Maul's story. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. But Where everything I, at, but at his fingertips, but it. not not there. Right. But I think you could do it in a way that would be interesting and, and fun. Mm. Um, I don't know. I still hope it's not him, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, hashtag bring back Cad Bane. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's that hat. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, so if you guys recall, there was a scene from season one. It's it's in the episode with um, Bobby Cannavale's son playing that like wannabe bounty mm-hmm. hunter. That and um, it's Ming Wanet is the uh, the she's, she's like the perp mm-hmm. that they that they're yeah. hunting, and she's left for dead. And we see a character with like spurs on his boots walking towards her and all we see is like a red cape and people think that might be cad bane but people also thought maybe it was boba fett but i don't think it's boba fett because i don't think sorry maybe it's boba fett i don't think it's i think everybody thought that was boba fett's armor and like a new form of his armor or whatever mm-hmm. but we know the armor isn't with him and it doesn't make sense for the marshal to be out there finding her right mm-hmm. so I, I i think it kind of has to, Maybe it could be a decostumed Boba Fett. 
uh, or rather the new costume. I don't remember what he was. Did we, did we get a, like a full body shot? Of I don't Fett? think so. Uh, no, I think it was top half only. Yeah. So we can't really tell if he's wearing like a, a cape or anything no. like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's we we see. I'm looking at the shot now. We see he's wearing like a long, like drapey robe mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I, I just don't know. It's on one hand, I I do like the I do like the idea of the Mandalorian as being sort of the fix for some of Star Wars problems. Mm-hmm. Like I love that the gun that that the man the Mando uses that disintegrates people fixes a line of dialogue in Empire Strikes Back where Darth Vader says no disintegrations, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we never see him actually disintegrate anybody. And that is the gun from the cartoon segment of the mm-hmm. holiday special that was never seen. So like I love the fact that the Mandalorian takes things that, and 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 applies fixes to stuff like that. I think that's very cool. So if if they're applying the fix to Boba. I could get behind yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think they have a track record of doing it well. So, sure. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm still not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> if they do it well, but we won't be pleased. Yeah. yeah. Still going to be mad. Well, that's kind of how I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's my right as a Star that's Wars That's kind of how I... <laughs> yes. If nothing else, I'm, I'm entitled. I feel like this is a Simpsons um, episode in the making. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I I will say I sort of have the same feeling about seeing Ahsoka in the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I, I I kind of would rather them not cast new people in that role, yeah. and just instead continue her story through animation or whatever. Um, but you know, I I guess I I have to trust Dave Filoni mm-hmm. with this. He created Ahsoka. I, I have to trust him. In his judgment yeah. here, um, but yeah. So overall, uh, any other thoughts on the episode? Um, hmm. No, I mean, I I liked it. I I was very very happy with it, and I liked that it wasn't split into two episodes. I kept thinking, it's like, oh man, here's where we're gonna end. And then next time, it's like, oh no, we're just running with it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really like the episode. Um, I yeah, I it the the Mandalorian just has a very distinct feel that I just enjoy, and I know we talked about all of those elements, you know, last season, just the opening credits, the closing credits, all of those things. Um, there were lots of references to Womp Rats, which I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> yes, there were multiple Womp Rats. One of the things I wrote about was that, with the exception of pod racing, which we do get because of the speeder bike but this episode was sort of tatooine's greatest hits <laughs> yeah like you, you heard about most Eisley and most espa you got wampas and sand people and jawas and womp rats <laughs> and you know it just you, you sort yeah. of get almost everything that that you associate with tatooine yeah. uh, and that's not yeah. a bad thing but again i i think that in a lot of ways they just they wanted to put together an episode that that reminded people why they were excited in the first place. I think that that really hit the mark. So, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see where Agreed. it goes. And um, I like the fact, yeah, one last one, I just liked, it went from opening in like the Star Wars cyberpunk-esque feel of, you know, graffiti small streets and jumped right back into Mandalorian Western 
naturally showing the two dual strengths of this series, which I thought yes. was badass. <laughs> I wonder how much of this season is going to take place on Tatooine, or if we're already done there. I, I can't. I can't imagine we're done there if Boba Fett's going to be a part of the season. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Or that character, uh, if that character mm-hmm. is a, is a bigger <laughs> part of the season, I can't imagine we're mm-hmm. done yeah. there. Yeah. That said, I I encourage Star Wars whenever possible to get off of desert planets <laughs> <laughs> because they tend to fall back on yeah. those. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you for listening, folks. We um, we really do appreciate all that you uh, – the time you spend with us on these episodes. We have a lot of fun with them. We'll be back in a little bit less than two weeks with a review of – the Empire Strikes Back from a Certain Point of View short story mm-hmm. collection. So uh, if you haven't read that yet, it, just, it comes out today, the day you're listening to this. Um, so please go pick up that collection and, and talk to us about it next Friday. And um, until next time, remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.